Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 38 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I'd like to start out today's episode with a couple of big thank yous. The first is to West Michigan Women Magazine, who wrote a very nice article about me, our family and story, and my podcast. The print version of the magazine was just released this week, and you can also see it online. So I will post that to my website, andysmom.com. The second person I'd like to thank is Megan from the Grieving Moms podcast. She was on an episode recently with me as Aria's mom, uh, but had me on her show as well to talk more about Andy's story. So you can certainly listen again to that one. It was released this morning as well. Uh, So that's on the Grieving Moms podcast. On today's episode of Always Andy's Mom, I talk with Sandy, Hattie's mom. Hattie was almost 10 months old when she died from an unsafe sleep situation at her daycare. Sandy and I talk about the struggles that she has gone through over these past five years now. She talks about good friends who have helped her and the struggles she still faces today especially struggles with faith and trust. She has started a foundation called Hattie's Calling that helps to give sleep sacks to individual parents, pediatrics offices, and hospitals. Along with the sleep sack is a little story about Hattie explaining her story to help educate parents so that they continue to think about safe sleep for their babies long after they might otherwise. One additional housekeeping note that I need to say today is that our audio was not the greatest for the first half of the interview, and she cut out sometimes. I removed some of the big pauses, but occasionally it may sound a little bit choppy because she had some words that were just skipped over. So you'll have to forgive us for that. But once you get through about the first half, it's great. So enjoy listening to Sandy. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today, Sandy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and reaching out. This is, I'm excited to do it. It's an honor. Yes. Well, it's funny because I know very little about you, Sandy, and you know virtually nothing about me, but we have a mutual friend who thought you would be great on the show and has been telling me uh, little bits about you so that I would invite you to be on. So here you are kind of suddenly, um, and to share your story and the story of Hattie. So yes. why don't you start out by just telling us about your daughter, Hattie? Sure. 
So Hattie is short for Hadley and Hadley Sue was born um, on August 4th, 2014 and she had bright blue eyes, um, really round, big eyes. And, you know, when you look at her, that's really what you saw is her bright blue eyes and this big grin. Um, she was so unlike my first daughter. So my first daughter has brown hair, brown skin, pretty much looks exactly like me. So when Hattie came out with blonde hair, blue eyes, I was like, are you my child? <laughs> um, <laughs> And she was just very, she was very laid back, um, where my, my older daughter, Eloise, she's very bold and, um, outgoing, kind of like me. And Hattie was just more reserved into herself in groups of people, but she really loved like one-on-one -on -one with anyone who would hold her or pay attention to her. And, um, you could tell she really just liked, even as a baby, like to connect with you. Like she really liked to look in your eyes and, um, she was really focused on people's faces and you could tell that right away. And so you could tell she was just kind of the, you know, the laid back baby taking it all in, maybe a little bit more mm -hmm. reserved, but so, so, so sweet and happy. Um, but she could be a little feisty with her sister too. She liked to bite and growl and do all those fun things too. But um, she was definitely very different. So, you know, when you start having kids, you kind of have this idea in your head of what they'll be like. And I assumed they would all just be like me. <laughs> so yeah. um, having her be so different, we kind of had a bond because I felt like I had to, you know, maybe look out for her a little bit more or, you know, just kind of protect her. She was so, um, yeah, it was kind of just different having Hattie, just the perfect addition to our family. And that's funny when you have one, then you kind of assume they'll all be like the first one too. Mm hmm. Right. Yep. That's what I thought. Yep. And um, it was really kind of a dream come true for me because I grew up as an only child. And, you know, I would always see my friends who had these sibling bonds and I just didn't have that. So to be able to have two girls and have that sister bond that I really, really wanted um, was really a dream come true. Oh, that's so sweet. So why don't you go into what happened with Hattie? Sure. So I was a full-time working mom. Um, both my husband and I are in property management. And so we had to find daycare for our, our girls. And um, we found a licensed in-home daycare. We thought that was the best option, um, a smaller group of kids. Um, and Eloise had been there for about a year before we had Hattie. And so Hattie had been there since she was six weeks. And um, so she had been there um, for a while and she was four days shy of being 10 months. So it was right around this time of the year. Um, and I dropped the girls off in the morning as usual and went about my day at work answering phone calls and doing all of that. And I was actually having a doctor's appointment that day and I went to the doctor and I got a phone call on my phone that said unknown caller. And so, you know, I was kind of annoyed, like, why is this person calling me? It's probably just, mm -hmm. you know, a telemarketer. So I sent it to voicemail and then they immediately called back and I was like, well, that's a little strange. So I picked it up, you know, kind of annoyed, like, what do you want? And the voice on the phone was, this is so-and-so from the Ottawa County Sheriff's Department. Um, and we need to talk to you. And so from the job that I do, it wasn't really out of the ordinary for the police to come to me on my cell phone. Yeah. And so I was, you know, annoyed, like, well, can you just tell me what it is? Like, I'll take care of it when I get out of this appointment. And their, you know, the response was no, you know, we need to come and see you right now. And when that, you know, 
the, everything starts going through your head. Like I knew my husband, Chris was traveling that day. So I immediately thought, okay, maybe Chris was in an accident. Um, I'm at the gynecologist who's going to come talk to me at the gynecologist over something small. So, you know, I waited there with my doctor. My, thankfully, I brought my friend with me that day, my best friend, Emily. And next thing I knew, the police um, were there. And so this sheriff came in and um, my husband, Chris, was on speakerphone. And we both, you know, thought it was work-related or, you know, you're still not knowing what's happening. And um, he sat down and Chris was on speakerphone and he said, the police were called out to your daycare today and your daughter has passed away. Oh my word. And both of us, you know, and they said, Hattie. And from, you know, then everything just is, starts rolling from there and, you know, you're out of control screaming. And thankfully I had a friend there with me. I couldn't imagine, you know, being by myself at that point. And um, we didn't know what happened. Um, so we had to drive and meet the police. They wouldn't let me go to where Hattie was, which I really, really wanted to go there. And I still feel like I, that would have been the right choice for me. But, um, so we met them at a fire station and they, you know, start talking to us about Hattie, asking questions like, has she had any trauma? Was she sick? Then they started asking, you know, does she sleep with a blanket and, um, all of this. And I think it was the next day we found out that after the autopsy had been done, that she had been found with a blanket over her head and she um, suffocated on that almost 10 months old. She was almost walking, sitting up, standing up, holding on to stuff. So for her to suffocate on a blanket was just unbelievable to me. And until, you know, it was really explained to me how she was found. So she yeah, definitely had a blanket over her head and she had been like that for two hours and she was gone for about an hour before they found her. So after hearing all that and then like, you know, it kind of sinks in that, wow, like she didn't just pass away. Like this was something that could have been prevented. Like she should still be here today is what really just changed everything for me, knowing that this shouldn't have happened. This was an accident. If the rules had been followed that day, Patty would still be here. So that's something I, you know, I live with and that's hard, you know, to tell her story. So um, that's kind of what we do now. Yeah. Did you communicate much with the daycare at all? It doesn't sound like. Yeah. Like she, we were, we were really, really close. She loved my girls. She unfortunately made some bad choices that day that, you know, contributed, led to the death of my child. And so, you know, that can be very hard, but um, I know that she loved them. I know it wasn't intentional, but unfortunately, if she would have, you know, there was like three or four things they found that day that if she had done the, the way that she was supposed to, that this wouldn't have happened. So, you know, that can be hard to swallow sometimes, but just knowing that, you know, she, she's a good person. She loved them. Mm-hmm. She made a mistake in time. And unfortunately those mistakes, you know, my daughter's not here. So, you know, I have days where I, I don't feel so great about it or towards her, but right. You know, most of the time I've gotten to a place where, you know, I know that she made a mistake and she found Hattie and I can't imagine the trauma that she lives with, um, seeing that and, you know, having to go through all that. So yeah, I I do understand that you don't know much about our story either. But our, we were hit by a car by someone who was driving far too fast. And 
and she was distracted by something we'll never know what but you know she hit us we were in a construction zone in an exit lane so it should have never happened so it's it's very very similar in that she certainly didn't want it to happen she didn't mean for it to happen she didn't go out that day thinking i'm gonna drive crazy so and put people's lives at risk but it was an oh you know, a mistake that never, ever, ever should have happened. And had she been at all doing what every other car was doing that day, it wouldn't have happened. So I feel like it's yes. similar in that she has to live with that too. She yeah. has been suicidal since and has been in psychiatric hospital. So that is horrible, but it is also good too to get messages out on things you can do to prevent these deaths that never ever should have happened. Yeah. I mean, it definitely puts things in perspective and, you know, I try to remember that day to day, you know, that my actions, like whether they are intentionally like, are consequences, good and bad. And so that definitely is something I think about and, you know, try to live my life that way, you know, obviously not perfectly, but yeah, it definitely mm -hmm. gives perspective to that so right. and it makes you feel like you want to live as low risk of a life as possible right right like before um you know had he died you I had this carefree life and you don't think I mean I guess you know in your head you know that people die you know but you never think that your child is going to die and now knowing that my child dies or died like and that that can happen. I think, you know, I live with my kids now and I'm not like a crazy helicopter mom, but at the same time, I know that their life could be taken at any moment, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Cause the worst thing has happened and the worst thing can happen. You've lived through that. So I think, you know, I, mm -hmm. yes, yes. And we know that. And so I obviously I don't want anyone else to have to know that because it's not great. It's not, you know, it's horrible. I know you said that you really work to try to get this message out so that people don't have to go through what you went through. So what are things that you say, maybe even related to safe sleep? Do you have specific things that you say? You know, you said there were like four things that she did wrong. So what are things that you tell people they need to do right? So in the fall, after Hattie died, um, you know, just sitting with my grief, it was just overwhelming and knowing that this could finding out that every three days in the state of Michigan, a baby dies from unsafe sleep. And those are all 100% of preventable deaths was just a lot to handle. And I, I'm a huge believer in that we are the meaning makers and nationwide it's um, 10 babies a day die from unsafe sleep situations. Wow. So opioids, suicide and I think car accidents combined. So it's like, these are huge deaths, like huge death rates. I'm not saying that those aren't important too. They are very, you know, those causes are very important. Um, but this one is too, and it just doesn't get the same recognition as those, you know, people don't talk about it as much, but this is, you know, a preventable death and these babies are dying and we can do something about it. So I'm a huge believer, like I said, in being the meaning maker. So Hattie's death, if I didn't talk about it, if I didn't share her story, her death is meaningless um, to everyone except for me. Like I would be the only one that remembers it in my family. So I wanted to make it mean something. So that fall I decided to um, start 
Hattie's Calling. Every child wakes up and um, we raise money and we purchase safe sleep sacks, which is like a wearable blanket so that babies can sleep safe um, in their cribs. So um, and we spread her story and we talk about the ABCs of safe sleep. So A, meaning they sleep alone, no blankets, no stuffed animals, no little lovies that people use. Like those babies have died from those things. So mm-hmm. sleeping alone in their crib is important. B stands for on their back. So babies should always be sleeping on their back. You should always put babies to sleep on their back. Now, if they can roll back to front and or from back to stomach and stomach to back, then you don't need to roll them over, but you should always put them down on their back. Um, and then C stands for crib. So safest place for baby to sleep is in their crib, their own crib, away from your bed, not in your bed, not in a boppy, not in a swing and not in a car seat that's not in a car. So all of those things, baby sleeps best and safest in a crib. So we spread that message. We donate sleep sacks. We donate cribs and we've done several fundraisers over the years. Unfortunately, our biggest fundraiser that we were doing this year had to be canceled um, because of COVID. We were doing our first gala. We were really excited about that and we were five days away from having it until we had to cancel. So it's been postponed for now. Hopefully going to have it this fall. But yes, I think that channeling my grief and being able to talk about Hattie and have people know Hattie, her story. Um, it's helped me. It's amazing how it does help you, doesn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't, I just, mm-hmm. yeah, it can be so overwhelming at times. And so a way to like channel that is good. And you know, some days are not great. And I don't, I'm not motivated. And I don't do anything for Hattie's calling. But you know, then there's other days where I'm ready to conquer the world. Like last fall, we were in I was sharing Hattie's story on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., trying to get a bill passed, and it passed in the House just this last week. So, um, you know, doing stuff like that is just really special, and um, yeah, it just, it helps. What's the bill? It's called the Scarlet Sunshine Act. So it would give money to the states to require them to do proper death scene investigations. So, you know, before safe sleep, before we were talking about safe sleep, babies died from SIDS. You know, SIDS rates were through the roof as people weren't doing proper death scene investigations. So there's not a across the board like everyone, every time you find a baby, you passed away, you need to do these things. So it would require all states to do that, give them the money to be able to do that, and then be able to report correctly on these deaths. So really, so SIDS SIDS rates have gone down, but safe sleep deaths have gone through the roof. So really, a lot of these babies that have died from SIDS are really unsafe sleep deaths. And so um, knowing that allows us to have better research um, and better preventative measures, because how do you prevent something that's not being reported correctly? So now the bill just needs to be passed in the Senate. So that would be really awesome if that would happen. But yeah, it, it's great to share her story. You know, our I got to share her story with our senators out in Washington. People that will come up to me and say, oh, my daughter or my daughter wears Hattie's sleep sack at night. And so that, you know, that means everything to me. And or I'll have moms that write in and say, I read your story and I went up immediately to my daughter's room and ripped everything out of her crib. So hearing those stories, like it doesn't, take away the pain, but it definitely, it just means so much, you know, knowing that Hattie, my life, you know, and you, you worry more about the things that matter and you invest in relationships with your family more. And, you know, you just don't worry about the things that don't matter, you know? Oh, I absolutely know. It's funny. I was just having a conversation with someone about that very thing at work this week 
about how my priorities have changed so much. And even going back to work, families matter, relationships matter, um, helping kids matters, some of this other ridiculousness, business wise or whatever, I just don't care about anymore. It just doesn't seem important. So it has just changed my focus. Not that I had a totally different focus, but I just feel like I'm just more compassionate as a person now than I was before. Right. Yes. The sleep sacks, the Hattie sleep sacks, how do do you, you hand those out or how do you do? Yeah. Um, I, I donate them to, um, hospitals, pediatric offices, any, really anyone, <laughs> um, daycares. I do a lot of donations to daycares or if anyone contacts me and says, Hey, I really need the sleep sack or I really like to have one. I'm happy to mail them out. They can email me at Sandy at Hattie'scalling.com or my website. They can go on there and contact me. They can also be purchased. So it's a buy one, give one. So for every one that's purchased, I'm able to donate one. Every sleep sack has Hattie's Calling on it. And it also comes with a postcard with her story on it in the ABCs of Safe Sleep. Attaching Hattie's story and her face to them, I feel like it, it it's more powerful. It hits home like this can happen. That's what we do with them. You know, what I think is really powerful about that story is that she was almost 10 months old. Yes. So, so mm-hmm. much older than what you would classically think of. Mm-hmm. So I think that is really, really helpful to people. Yep. Because in general, I feel like I mean, I'm a pediatrician. So I see a ton of parents. And I don't know that they're always honest with me about their sleep habits, honestly. Right. I mean, I think they they say what they know is supposed to be the right answer is, oh, yeah, they always sleep on their back. They oh, never have anything with, else with them in the crib. But right. I, I, ne- I never know for sure. Honest, it's hard. So many times it's so easy to just be like, okay, if I just give them this blanket or if I just bring them into bed, they'll sleep, you know, so good. And like, I'm a mom. I know those thoughts. I had a baby even after Hattie died and even knowing that my daughter died from safe sleep, I had to make those moments, you know, like you're in the middle of the night and he's crying and I haven't slept. And okay, if I just told him while he's, you know, so I know what that's like. And um, I'm not saying it's easy. And I think part of the discussion is most parents know about safe sleep. They know the right answers, just like you said, but how do we get them in those tough moments to make that decision and make the right decision? So I tend to ask moms like, okay, you know about safe sleep, but what are you doing in the middle of the night when, you know, you're tired or, you know, is your husband supportive? Do you have a parent or a friend or a neighbor that can talk to you? Like, what is that conversation and how do you overcome those moments? Um, And, you know, what you said about Hattie being 10 months is so true. I think people think, okay, so safe sleep is for the little itty bitty babies, but really it's not. Mm -hmm. It's through 12 months of age. And even um, the AAP is recommending following safe sleep through 24 months, you know, and then people will say, well, what about, you know, their little stuffed animal that comforts them? Well, if you're consistent with using a sleep sack, that sleep sack becomes their comfort. And so many parents have told me that their kid will run and grab their sleep sack and get inside of it um, because they're excited to go to sleep with their sleep sack, you know, so it can really be that for them. But yeah, it had even older, it was totally shocking. And I didn't believe it until I pretty much saw the pictures of how she was found and but it is hard so that's kind of what 
we're working on now is, okay, so we know ABCs of safe sleep. Why are people still choosing not to follow it, um, even though they know it? So, you know, that's kind of the conversation and uh, moving forward, what are we going to do about that and how can we help? Even when I do have parents admit to me that they're doing something unsafe, they act like they're kind of ashamed about it. And that's why I feel like I probably don't get everyone. I think most people (laughs) probably just think it in their head and don't say it out loud to me because they think I'm going to just yell at them or something, which I'm not going to yell at them. I'm just, we just talk about keeping your child as safe as you possibly can. What can we do? What are some options? What can we do? What, what can we do that can help the situation? When I think reminding them too, that like, this is just a period of time. Like they won't always sleep like this. Yes. You're tired, but you can get through this. And you know what I, I would spend a million sleepless nights if I knew Hattie would be here, you know? So, and I do have conversations with parents about sleep really every single day. I mean, that is a big thing that people talk about all the time. My baby won't sleep. How do I get him to sleep through the night? Sleep, sleep, sleep. And that is what's happened. What happens is you are weak at two o'clock in the morning. I talk to moms about this all the time. Moms and dads like no one is tough at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) You are weak. You just want to do what you can do to get through. Right. So that's when you end up making bad choices. And that's why you need to have someone there with you to kind of help, you know, whether it's your spouse or other parent, hopefully, sometimes I'll say, you know, maybe you need to go to your mom's house or something if they can help you out. Because it's just getting someone there, having someone there to be able to help support you. So you make always the right choice during those hard times. And you don't pull them into bed with you or do those things that you right. really can't do. Exactly. I mean, most moms don't tend, like mean to fall asleep in with their baby in their bed, but it just happens. Like you're human. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what's the conversation? What, what can we do? How can we support you? And then it just seems easier. Yeah. So how long have your, has your organization been going on now? It'll be five years. So I started the fall after she died two, five years. Oh, you started early. Wow. I can't believe you started that quickly. Yeah. Once I get something in my head, I have to do it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, once I decide to do something, that's all I can think about until I accomplish it. <laughs> so a lot of times parents like to hear about how people got through those first weeks and months. Can you talk about your journey a little bit and what you found helpful and what you maybe found not helpful? Early in my journey of grief, um, you know, it was very, I was very focused on me. And I think that's okay, because that's all you can do is really just focus on yourself. And, And you don't even realize that you're doing it honestly, but that's okay. You know, there, it was, I was very, very sad for a very long time. And I had a daughter, Eloise, she was two and a half at that time. And so I knew she needed me and it was, you know, just trying to do the best I could and moment by moment choosing, not trying to think about five years from now, what would that look like? 10 years from now, what would that look like? Just moment by living moment by moment, making choices moment by moment is really how I survived. Um, And obviously with a lot of support, I had some really great friends that 
for that first month were really with me around the clock. Um, and that really helped. As my journey gets farther and farther out, I have just recently started realizing that this affected more than just me and my husband and hearing other people, what, you know, what they did when they found out how they heard about it has really just been eye-opening to me. And I'm, I'm sad to say that I didn't even think about that until now. And I've learned to just really be kind to yourself. Grief is hard. And again, moment by moment, one moment you're okay. The next moment you're not, but it's all okay. Like if you're crying, screaming, yelling, that, that's okay. And um, I've allowed myself to do that. So some days in my grief journey, I feel like I'm on top of the world and I can conquer anything. And um, I feel like I'm living somewhat a normal life. And then it can be the next day or the next moment where I can't even see the next five minutes. And so that's why I really encourage anyone who's walking this grief journey that what really worked for me or sometimes works for me is that just thinking of the next moment, what can I do this moment to make it through or to help my kid or whatever that is. Um, Cause if I find myself thinking, Oh my gosh, like five years from now, like I remember when I first lost Hattie, I couldn't imagine living a day without her. And it hurt so much to think about that. And now here I am five years later, like, how did that happen? And I remember thinking like, I don't, and I would listen to people who were farther along in their grief, 10 years, 20 years. And I was like, astounded because I was like, you seem so normal, <laughs> you right? know? And I'm like, how do you get to that place? And I realized that it's, you know, it's the journey and someday I'm going to be at that place. And it's not because I chose to, it's just going to happen. And so you know, I think, I mean, maybe some, maybe there are some conscious choices along the way, but I think too, a lot of it is just time and, you know, just that next moment, focusing on that next moment is going to, you know, get you there. And eventually you're going to be sitting here five years and think, oh my gosh, how did I survive five years? And, and still being there and still getting up every day and still yeah. doing things every day. And it does seem impossible. Mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking that same thing. And I, you know, I'm not even two years out and days, some days are still horrible. Yes. Yesterday mm-hmm. just was terrible. It was terrible. And there were just a lot of little things. It wasn't like mm-hmm. one super big thing. It was just a lot of tiny things, but I just spent a lot of the day crying. And one of my friends who lost her daughter had reached out to me and just said, I was thinking of you today. How how are you doing? And I, you know, like wrote this complete horrible complaint (laughs) (laughs) about just how terribly sad I was. But then I kind of ended it and said, but tomorrow will probably be better. Yes. You know, and that's, Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I have now that I didn't used to have. Well, and I have the knowledge that tomorrow probably will be better. Yeah. Well, and don't beat yourself up over that bad day because your child deserves all those tears and you cry those tears because you have big love for them and they meant so much and their life meant so much. And so I never feel bad about crying a tear for Hattie or feeling sad about it um, because she deserves that. She, you know, um, And sometimes it's just hard and some days are just hard and that's just what they're going to be. Something that was really helpful for me, um, because I don't know why I have, I had a strong faith growing up. I was raised in the church. I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, I was that girl that was leading the Bible studies, all of that. So when a tragedy happened, I thought I would be that person that was like, 
um, this is for God's glory and he's going to use us. And I am so the opposite of that, you know, like after losing Hattie, um, it's hard for me to say like, God is good. And all those things, even though my brain knows that it's true, it's hard to connect it to my heart. So I went to a grief group early in my grief and this lady spoke about some things are just bad. They're just bad. And I don't have to find the good in Hattie's death. Like yes, her death was bad and God thinks it's bad and he didn't want that for me. And so I didn't have to put them together. So things are, there are things that are still good and I can still smile and I can still find joy in them. And Hattie's death is bad and that can still be bad and that can still be sad. And I don't have to make that a good thing. Do good things come out of it? Yes. Hattie's calling is good. Our sharing our story is good, but sometimes her death is just bad and that's what it is. And I don't have to connect the two. And so once I had that moment of realization, like I don't have to connect with the good and the bad, it just like a weight was lifted off of me. That is so huge. I a hundred percent agree with that Mm -hmm. because it did feel like other people tried to always put a silver lining on it, on how God Mm -hmm. was going to work through this, how God was going to bring Mm -hmm. people to Christ, how this was happening. And it just would make me angry. And then I just felt so bad about, well, now I'm angry and bitter and upset with these people who were my friends, good friends, you know, who I'd been in Bible study with before. But it it is important to separate those out in my mind. It has to be. And if they want to join them together, that's okay. But please don't force me to. Right. That's huge. Yes. And their intentions are good. So I just kind of leave it at that and like let it roll off my back because I know they mean well. But at the same time, um, yeah, like it can be hurtful to think about that. And, and God, frankly, doesn't need me to be on board with how he's going to use Hattie's death, right? God can use it without me being on board. And people are still gonna, you know, there still is a silver lining, I don't necessarily have to be on board with it (laughs) for it to happen. So I think that's huge, like just letting yourself know that and feel that and live in that and give yourself grace. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, losing a child, it affects more than just Hattie dying. Like there's so much more. It affects how I parent. It affects my marriage, my relationships with my friends. And so, you know, like, but it does. I think for me, I found that one friend, like all my friends have been great. They all have, but I found that one friend that I can say the ugliest stuff to my ugly thoughts, the thoughts that would be, would like probably scare people, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I know she's safe and I know she knows I'm not like, making a plan to end my life or, you know, like those things. Like I know that she's Uh safe. She can hear them. I can speak them to her and she doesn't necessarily, she just listens. She doesn't come back with that. Well, da, 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 (laughs) da, you know, like she gets it. And so for me, that's been very helpful. So I would encourage, hopefully anyone who's on this journey can find that one person that's safe. Cause unfortunately like my husband, he has his grief and I can't go to him with those things. And at first I was really hurt by that. Like, you're my husband. I should be able to bring this to you, but he lost his daughter and he's watching me grieve and that's hard. And so, you know, sometimes it's okay to find that somewhere else, you know, like to be able to talk about it somewhere else. Cause you have to be able to. Well, it's funny. We have our mutual friend, Ben. Mm-hmm. He is that to my husband. That's great. He is, he is the person he can turn to when he just can't turn to me because I feel terrible when he's having really a bad day and is 
tearful and I can tell he's upset. It's hard because a lot of the those times I'm just not strong enough to help him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad Ben can yes. because I just can't. And I think he feels bad, you know, wanting to let too much of it out to me because he doesn't want to put me down in that dark, dark hole again if I'm not having a really bad day. So you are right. It's important to find somebody to be able to turn to and someone that you're not going to freak out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when I'm having my sad times, I like go through people and I think, okay, who could handle this today and is not going to completely overreact or panic or have it ruin Right. Their day. Right. Um, you just have to kind of think about it. And the person that in five years, which for me, it's five years, can still hear me say the same things I was saying day one, that first year, like some things just don't change with your grief. And that was a reason that sometimes I don't talk to certain friends because I know they don't want to know. They don't want to hear me in that same spot that I I'm still in the same spot and I'm not in that spot every day, but sometimes I still am and I'm saying the same things. And I know that can, as a friend, be hard to watch. And so you really, yeah, yeah, finding that person that is safe and just lets you be is so, so vital to the journey, I think. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. So I had done counseling for a really, really long time, you know, and we would talk about what happened and that was great for me because I am constantly in my head thinking about that moment. And my husband obviously can't hear me talk about that anymore. So I would talk to a counselor about it and that was great. And that was good. But then in this moment that I'm in now, I feel very, there's certain areas I'm just feeling very stuck. And so I'm meeting with a life coach and it's great because she's also my pastor's wife, but she's a life coach and she, Um, also knows my story. So I don't have to explain it to her all the time. And we're working on moving forward, not moving on, but moving forward in these areas that I feel stuck in a way that I can honor Hattie and bring her with me and not because I was so scared, you know, about moving on and like not bringing Hattie with me, you know, like Mm -hmm. that is terrifying in my grief. And I, I wanted to dig my heels in and be like, Nope, I'm staying right here. Like, this is what it's going to be. This is good as it's going to get, you know? So we've really been working on that. We just, I just mm-hmm. started. So I don't have like a whole lot of like insight and in how it's going to go, but it's given me, I don't know if it, I, I don't know if I dare say it's giving me hope yet, but it's giving me the glimpse that I can see that hope is there <laughs> or in the near future. So yeah, that's been really good. So it's not so much focusing on what happened in the past and it's just how can I move forward because I have a family Mm -hmm. and I you know they deserve the best of me too so how do I move forward but still bring Hattie with us in a way that's healthy and so I'm that's where I'm at now and I don't have all the answers for that and it's just it take it took me five years to get here and make the decision that I do need to do this yeah I'm kind of excited about it and it's going well and that's where I'm at good yeah Good. I mean, it is such a slow, slow process that it doesn't seem strange to me at all that you're kind of still coming up with new things to work on at five years. That Mm -hmm. just, that seems really normal. But for the average person, that seems like a long time. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So how do you try to keep Hattie alive with your family now? Did you have other children? Yes. So Eloise was um, older than Hattie. And then Mm -hmm. um, two years after Hattie passed, we had Fitz. He's my son. He's my son. (laughs) And um, that was a hard decision to have Fitz because... I never thought I would just have one living child. I wanted to have, at first, having Fitz was for Eloise. She needs a sibling. It's for her. It wasn't so much because I wanted a baby. But then, obviously, I had him, and I love him to death, and he's great. Um, Couldn't imagine life without him. But, yeah, we try to talk about Hattie every day, and whether it's small things or big things. So, you know, like, on the anniversaries, we do big things. Like, we'll, on her birthday, we celebrate her birthday. We get a cake. We do that on the anniversary of her death, that kind of looks different, you know, and as they get older, I'll, I'll include them more in that. And, um, but right now they're so young that I don't want them to just see me like cry all day. (laughs) Um, so, um, I kind of, you know, I don't let them really see that yet. Um, but yeah, we, it's anything from, you know, talking about Hattie or something she did or seeing a picture of her, um, obviously Hattie's calling is huge. Um, that, is something we can do as a family sometimes. And, you know, it gives us all purpose. And, you know, we talk about Hattie. So um, anything from just like, you know, praying at night and telling God to give Hattie hugs and kisses for us to just, you know, telling stories about her when she was here. Yeah. And it's not easy, but I love when my kids talk about her, good or bad. And just to hear her name come out of their mouths is amazing because I know that they haven't forgot. Yeah. And that is so big to have them mentioned and remembered and talked about. That's just, yeah, because that's what every mom just wants, right? You want their life to matter. One of the biggest fears of a grieving mom, because you like so much, and I think maybe we put that in ourselves, but you know, you feel like people forget or that they don't want to talk about her um, or that you're the only one that remembers, you know, and those moments come and you feel those and but it's not true. People remember. And that's the greatest yeah. gift is when someone remembers Hattie. I love that too. When someone remembers Andy. I was thinking too, when you were talking about the church and being in Bible studies um, and how you were super active when you were younger, how is that now for you? <sighs> because I have found that really difficult. I was in a, BSF Bible study mm-hmm. for many, many years, and I have continued to try uh, to go, but I'm not really very good at it. I'm having, I have a hard time oh, I am being able you. to do that. Do you? When Hattie first died, I kind of like, I clung to God for probably the first, I don't know, because it was all I could do. Like, I could only think like a prayer, a prayer for me was God help me. Like, that's all I could pray for a long time. And then I got angry (laughs) towards God, um, you know, because I was all in for God. And I just felt really let down, almost betrayed. Like, I've done, you know, and even just, even just saying this out loud kind of sounds crazy. But like, I've done everything. Like, I've, you know, gone to church on Sundays. I've prayed. I've volunteered. I've been in the ministry. And you, you let my child die. And even yeah. though, you know, that's not logical, that's not what happened, but that's how I feel. And even five years later, <laughs> I am still angry. And my faith is something I struggle with all the time. 
going to church, just sitting in there. I couldn't even sit in the pew, like, or in the chair, like hearing the worship songs. Like I just, I was like, that's a load of crap. <laughs> like, that's what I was thinking, <laughs> you know? Um, but this is part of why I'm, I'm working with a life coach because I do. And I came to this realization. I do still believe in God. I'm having a hard time trusting. So yes, it's not that yes. I don't believe it's that. I don't trust. And so that's our starting point. I don't know where we're going to go from there, but this is where like moment by moment comes in. Like, what can I do in this moment? How can I trust in this moment? Um, and not worrying about everything else. But I know that I want this faith, like for my life, I want it for my family. I want to teach it to my kids and have them experience it. So I'm not there yet though. And that's why like, that's so important, like to separate it for me. Like God thinks Hattie's death is bad. God is for life. He's anti-death. Um, so trying to separate those two, it's, it's hard, you know, and I, I don't have the answers, but um, I'm almost kind of too like fake it till you make it, <laughs> you know, like maybe yeah. if I still like pray with my kids, even though I'm not praying, you know, maybe if I just start those little things, it will ignite, you know, it will bring that trust back. And also um, the community, the faith community is really good because even if I can't pray, and someone can pray over me or for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I, mm -hmm. I think that's great. Like, I don't have the words. I can't pray right now. But they can pray for me. They can believe for me. They can come around and believe when I can't or, you know, those kind of things. So, and I think that's okay. It's a relationship with God, just like any other relationship. And I'm angry. That goes through good times and bad times. Yep. Right. And mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm. So I still, we, I've kind of, I haven't been going to church, obviously, because of COVID. But even before that, it was very spotty because my husband was like, I'm not just going to come to church if you're just going to like run out crying every day. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, I get that, but I, my kids need to go. Or sometimes you would go and put the kids in the kids program because I want them to go. And then we would sit in the lobby and drink coffee. And I think that's okay. God is going to meet it's us so funny. wherever we are. You and I are very, very similar. I, except we would always go. We just always kept on going because I was so afraid that if I didn't go, I'd never go back. Yeah. So I just kept on going. One time we didn't go. Um, but for the most part, That's I just kept showing up. But I would leave in the middle all the time. Yeah. And what I really leave, we have this time in the church service that we share the peace. Mm -hmm. And I hate it. Hate it. I can't handle it at all. Mm -hmm. That peace of the Lord be with you, this superficial, not even really meaning it, just shaking everybody's hand. So I would flee every time. I would go and hide Aww. during that part of the service. And um, yeah. and then I'd show back up again. And, you know, my family started to kind of just joke about it because I it just would disappear and come back. And there are times yep. when I would get emotional and disappear for a good period of time and then come back. But this Zoom thing has been awesome for me. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. I know it's terrible and most people hate doing church through Zoom, but or YouTube or whatever. I think ours is YouTube. But it is working out great because I don't I can still be there. I can not have other people looking at me which I yeah. feel like I, and I don't know if that they even are looking at me, but I just feel like they are. Yeah. I feel like everybody knows, right? Everybody knows Andy died. Everybody there was awesome when Andy died and trying to help so much. And I mean, they gave us meals. 
Yeah. From August to December, they brought us meals. Like it got to the point where it was like too much. Like you need to start backing off to just two, three times a week because I can't even keep all of this food. Right. Um, So they were amazing to us. And so then I would also feel guilty. Like I need to keep showing up because they were always showing up for me. Yeah. So it's, it's just interesting to hear that and nice to hear somebody (laughs) else having those same kind of struggles. You're normal. um, Yeah. That everything you feel and think is normal. Like it really is. And it's, but it's comforting to know that someone else thinks that too. Yeah. I was, I was a singer in the praise band. I mean, that's (laughs) like, we were involved in this church. Oh yeah. And, um, I, I can't do that now. I can't. Yeah. That's 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 way, 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 way too hard. And maybe someday you will, maybe someday you won't. And that's, it's all okay. Your life was thrown upside down. You know, like I was to the point, like I asked my pastor and this was like two weeks ago, like is Hattie in heaven? Do I really believe that? Or is that something I tell myself because just to make me feel better and all growing up, that's of course they're in heaven. Like that's what I believed, you know, but when you're really faced with that, Like when your child dies and they're not here with you, you want to know where they are. Like, I want someone to tell me that 100% they're in heaven and it's true, everything. And thankfully my pastor had this great answer and it, I like immediately broke into tears and I was like, thank you. And it was almost like, thank you for believing that for me because right now I can't. And so. What'd your pastor say? Honestly, I will have to ask him again, but it was something like, I don't, I should have wrote it down. I'll ask him. I'll send it to Mm -hmm. you. That's probably not helpful for the podcast, but I just remember whatever he said, I was like, okay, like, thank you. And Mm -hmm. it was good. Well, and you have not heard this story, but my regular listeners know this story. But when my son, Andy, who died when he was 14, when he was seven, he had to draw a family picture Mm -hmm. and at school. And it was on a big sheet of paper, and he was so excited to show me this picture when he was getting out of the van after we got home from school. He was talking about the picture the entire way home. We get out. I open up the door. He unrolls the picture and shows it to me, and there are four people in the picture. And I said, Andy, why are there four people in the picture? There should be five of us. You know, wondering, who did he forget? Uh huh. Did he forget his brother? His sister was he mad at? Who did he leave out of the picture? And he said, oh, mommy, I'm not in the picture. I'm not going to grow up all the way. I'm in heaven. Oh, my gosh. So that That gave me chills. That is a gift that I have to know that seven years before Andy died, he knew he was going to be in heaven. Why do you? And I can know he's going to be in heaven. Yeah, that is a huge gift. That is so crazy. Yep. I bet. Totally like, crazy. I bet you think about that Freaked all me the out. time. Freaked me out. I just started praying right then. Yeah. Please God, no. Please God, no. Please God, no. Because he was so sure. So what do you th- I mean, like, and he wasn't at all sad. Not at all. So when he died, did you like immediately think about that? Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Eric and I talked about the picture when we were still in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. And I told that story at his funeral. So I don't know anything about your story. So then he didn't die right away. So did you know no, that he was he going to then? Because... No, no, no. Like when you said when he was in the hospital. 
Oh no, he did die right away. Oh, he, did? he died okay. on the side of the road. Oh, okay. Um but we were in the hospital with my other son who was hospitalized oh, okay. with a concussion. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I was going to say he, that yeah. would be crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is crazy. Yeah. But again, like small little gift, even though it's obviously not the gift you want, but like how great that you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it does take that question away from me. Mm-hmm. Right? The question that you had to your pastor with Hattie is Hattie in heaven. I I never have that question. That's amazing. Because I felt like he knew. If he knew he was going to heaven seven years before it happened, I know he's there now. Yeah. That's... It's just me getting there too. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's something that changed for me with my faith. Like before Patty died, I was like, oh, I'm not ready for God to come back yet. Like, you know, I want to live a little longer. I want to raise my kids, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, come back now. Now is the time. I <laughs> yeah, I want to go to heaven. <laughs> Any day is cool with me. Yes. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, this has been great. I would love to talk yes. to you more. My kids are probably. I would love to, too. Well, great. Perfect. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.